Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Man, I want Jesus to come back, don't you? I do. We have this blessed hope of a returning king. And I've I, I just been thinking about this lately. And um, sometimes it hurts to think. I don't know about you, but I, I, I do like to think, believe it or not. And I've just been thinking about, man, I, I, I want God to come back. I want Jesus to step back on this planet. I want him to set up his kingdom. He's setting it up right now in the hearts of people. But one day he's going to have a physical kingdom on this earth. One day he's going to rule supreme over everything. There's not going to be sin. There's not going to be death. But there's a, there's a requirement for Jesus to come back. He can't come back yet until every people group hear the gospel. So, you know, today's Mission Sunday, really, you might say by us supporting missions, we're actually expediting his return. Because Jesus can't come back. We can't, he can't establish his kingdom until everyone hears and we're, we're going to talk about that, this blessed hope that we have in God today. And that's why the church has got to be about the gospel. But we're going to look in Joshua chapter 14. And I know last week we talked about Joshua chapter 10. So there's three chapters that we're, we're not really talking about this morning. But I, I, will, I will give you a brief summary of them. Chapter... <laughs> Chapter 11 and 12 is Joshua and the Israelites kicking butt and taking names. Let's just be honest. Go read it. It's all these people, these kingdoms that they're just not just kicking them out. They're they're wiping them out because these people are sitting in God's promised land for his people. He gave it to Abraham hundreds of years before this, and now they are literally taking back what is rightfully theirs. And if you go and read, I would encourage you, Joshua is a great book, but go read chapter 11, go read chapter 12. There's literally a list of names that they conquered, like a huge list. Most of chapter 12 is a list of names of kingdoms that they conquered. They conquered Jericho and, and conquered their king, put their king to death. They conquered you know, Jerusalem and put their king to death. They, they conquered Ai and put their king to death. I mean, like, it's just all these names. We get into chapter 13, and the chapter opens up with Joshua's old man. Of course he is. He's like 80-something years old. And God tells him, you're not done. You're not done. You're not, you're not done kicking people out. There's still the Philistines down in Gaza that you have to kick out. There's still people in the, in the land. If you read the list of names in chapter 12, you would think, surely they're done. All these kingdoms were in that little area? Like, 
I want you to get an idea. Israel is smaller than the state of Tennessee. And yet, there's all these kingdoms set up in that area, like city-states. And you would think they would be done, but God said, you're not done. There's still people left to kick out. And that's my command I'm giving you. Kick these people out. Not just kick them out, wipe them out. Because if, you, if God would have just had them kick them out, they could have got allies. They could have went out and, and recruited people to, to come back and try to kick Israel out of something that's rightfully theirs. But God says, no, 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 no. We're not playing that game. You're wiping them out. Because this is yours. You are my people. You are my children. And I want to take care of you. So we step into to Joshua chapter 14. 13, he starts dividing up the land. He's dividing it up, and yet the job's not done. And he's dividing up the land, and he's giving the, the different tribes Okay, Manasseh, you're going to get this plot of land. Judah, you're going to get this plot of land. And he's dividing it up not just by tribes, but by clans within the, within the land. And, and then we step in to Joshua 14. And there's a, there's a guy named Caleb. And some of us might recognize the name Caleb, and some of us might not recognize the name Caleb. Caleb and Joshua... In Exodus, when Moses sent 12 spies, they were on the verge. They are about to go into the land. They are about to take it. This is 45 years before. They, he, Moses sent 12 spies into Israel to scout it out and say, okay, we want to know what we're up against. What are we going to have to do? And they saw these, I mean, they saw like just a land that's just rich in produce and everything, but they also saw giants. They also saw people that were huge. I mean, Pastor Ben is about as close as we can get to a giant in C1 today. And he is 6'6", 6'7", 6'6", 6'6". But they made him look small. And Joshua and Caleb came back and they're like, yeah, we could do this. We could take the land. God's with us. We're going to take it. But 10 spies said, no, there's no way we could take it. Uh, we look like grasshoppers to them. And like they start putting words in the mouth of their enemy and they don't even know what their enemy actually thinks about them and all this. Like we discover in Joshua that the enemy, all the people in the land were actually afraid of the Israelites because of their n- numbers. Like, oh my goodness, look what they did to the, to the kings um, east of the Jordan River. So Joshua and Caleb were the only two that survived out of that whole generation. And now they're the oldest people in all of Israel. And, but Moses made a promise to, to Caleb. And he said, uh, uh, Moses made a promise on God's behalf. And he said, Caleb, you can have the hill country. You can have it. It's yours. And that's where we step in to our text this morning. A delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kizanite, came to Joshua at Gilgal, or Gilgal, however you want to say it. Caleb said to Joshua, remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea? 
I was 40 years old when Moses, a servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report, but my brothers who went with me who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day Moses solemnly promised me the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness today, I am 85 years old. He did some good math right there, 40 and 45. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found descendants of Anak living in there in great walled towns. So these, this is the country where the giants lived. I, I, I want to point this out because he's asking for the most difficult thing to conquer. He's asking for the strongest opposition That's what he's asking for. But if the Lord is with me, everyone say, but if. I want you to remember that if. We're going to talk about if in a little bit. But if the Lord is with me, I will will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, uh, the Kizanite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, God of Israel. Everyone say wholeheartedly. He said that three times about Caleb, wholeheartedly. I think that there is some important information that we need to understand about this. Caleb was a man of God. Caleb wanted what God wanted. And God did some things. And Caleb understood some things. We could clearly see Caleb understood some things. And what I want to do today is I'm not going to give you anything um, that you probably haven't heard before. If this is your first time in church or any or around anything um, like church, this might be new to you. But if, if you've been in church any amount of time, I'm not going to drop any huge bombs. But I think there's something that we need to understand and remember. And I want us to grab a hold of it. Because Caleb understood this, and he remembered it. The first thought I want to give you is God's promises don't expire. God's promises don't expire. They don't have an expiration date. They're not like your milk or eggs in your refrigerator. Have you guys ever noticed a half and half will last like three times longer than a gallon of milk? Just just FYI, um, public service announcement. 
but it's not like that. It's still gonna, it's still gonna expire. God's promises don't. In fact, the Bible t- teaches us that all God's promises are fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. So promises to, to heal you, that, that's just, that, that's in God. Promises to provide for you, that's in God. That's done. It's, it's over with. It's, it's just, we've, we had testimony after testimony this morning of God's promises being fulfilled. Just before service, financial promises, just boom, boom, boom. We had testimony Tuesday about God. In fact, Miss Joy, she, we prayed for her last Sunday. And do you care if I share? Last, like two weeks ago, she had stroke level blood pressure and she was having some stuff going on with her heart. We prayed for her last Sunday. She went to the doctor this last Monday and her blood pressure was normal and they said her heart was healthy as a horse. Praise God. Come on. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. She could give you better details than I. Have you guys ever met a horse that's not healthy? It's, isn't that weird? Um, but praise God. These promises, we, we don't have to do things for them, but, but there's one promise. There's one promise that God hasn't fulfilled. Oh, that's, that's contradictory to the word of God. All God's promises are fulfilled. Jesus hasn't come back yet. That's a promise. And Jesus made that promise. But there's no expiration date on it. The church in the first century waited expectantly that Jesus would return within their own lifetime. And here we are 2,000 years later waiting for Jesus to return. Caleb... He walked on the land that would be his. He came back and gave an honest report. He said, we can take this land because God is with us. I don't care what it looks like against you. When God is with you, the odds are in your favor. And because he served God wholeheartedly, Moses, on behalf of God, said that land will be yours. Caleb had to wait 45 more years to fight, to claim his land. 45 years. What's important to remember is that Caleb didn't forget the promise. I would urge us today not to forget the promises of God because what's more importantly than God, or than Caleb not forgetting the promise, God didn't forget the promise. God is not short on memory. God doesn't ever have a brain fog. God doesn't ever forget. God knows exactly what he's doing. We forget, for instance, this, just this morning, um, Nathan was supposed to lead the prayer time. I forgot that I asked him last Sunday. I couldn't remember whether I did or we just talked about it. So I led the prayer time. God doesn't make those mistakes. I'm human. God is not. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't forget. But what happens when we remind God of his promises? It reminds us of his faithfulness. Because then Caleb turns around and says, if God's with me, I'm going to take it. It's just God gave it to me. It is what it is. Caleb had this idea that God's good for what he promised. He just knew that he was. 
and he moved forward. He acted on it. What does that look like for us? Because clearly we have some discrepancies with Caleb. There is some similarities. Um, I mean, we're clearly going out to conquer lands and, you know, fighting with swords and stuff like that. I'm not talking about those similarities. That was a joke. Yeah. Fell on his face. It's fine. Um, but there are some discrepancies between us and Caleb. We aren't literally going out, trying to conquer a land, find a place to live, all that stuff. But we still have this promise from God. We have a promise. Um, it's, it's often called the blessed hope. It's the blessed hope of Christ's return. We have this hope. It's, we, we grab a hold of it because um, <laughs> faith is substance of things hoped for. You can't have faith without hope. It, it's something we put our faith in. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for a spotless church. He's coming back. That's why we have to, we have to tell people about Jesus. Because if you're not part of the church, he's not coming back for you. That, that, it's just the end of the story. God has his promise. We have to be about it. And his promise doesn't expire. The early church, what, they were waiting then, within 30 years of Jesus' death. Okay, any time now, he's going to come back. Any time now, he's going to come back. Any time now. But Jesus, he, he made this clear, though. I, I can't come back until everyone hears the gospel. So he gave this charge known as the Great Commission to his church. And he said, go and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's in Matthew 28, in Mark 16, and in one, Acts 1.8. In Acts 1.8, he says, You will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He, he makes this charge to his church because Jesus wants to come back for his church. But Peter weighs in on this because the church is getting antsy. They're saying, when is Jesus going to come back? And there's scoffers in the early church saying, oh, he hasn't come back yet. He ascended to heaven, but he's not coming back. They were making fun of it. And there's even scoffers today saying that's not going to happen. And we live like it's not going to happen. And then we lose sight of why we got to tell the gospel. But Peter weighs in on it. In Acts, or not Acts, in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, most importantly... I want to remind you that in the last days, so he's writing to a church in the first century. He walked with Jesus. And he considered those the last days. I think we're a little closer now. If, if, if they were looking at those days like the last days, I would say some 2,000 years later, we're closer. In the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. Man, if that was happening then, just turn on, just turn on any news network. You're going to see this play out. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world for, was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. 
Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world. That's the flood found in, in Genesis, Noah and the ark, with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when the ungodly will be destroyed. The only way to become godly is through a relationship with Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And the only way for people to hear is through the church. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. So Peter is establishing that time is irrelevant to a timeless God. He's not saying literally like, okay, a thousand years. It's only been two days since Jesus left the earth. That, that's not what he's saying. He's, he's establishing time is irrelevant to a timeless God. Then he drops this amazing bit of hope and clarity when it comes to the promises of God, which Caleb understood some, I don't know, 3,500 years before Peter wrote this. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God's promises don't have an expiration date. Yet. There will be a day when Jesus comes back for his church. Then it'll be too late. That promise will be fulfilled. But he's still coming. So our responsibility, we have a responsibility. Caleb grabbed a hold of this thought. I might, it might have been 45 years for him. He might have been 85 years. Has, is, is there anyone in here over 85 does anyone, Miss Ada, would you like to go wage war at your age? No, you, do, you don't want to. I don't blame you. you. You deserve to be retired. But Caleb, he had this idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight. I'm going to go after this promise that God gave me. Miss Ada, are you still holding on to promises God gave you? Every day and night to night, you still hold on. You don't, you don't ever get over the fact that God gives promises. and You never get over the fact that we hold on to them. That's where Caleb was. That's where Caleb was. That's where his church has to be today. He's coming back. We need to grab a hold of this and understand that he is coming. That 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 he didn't come already, that he's coming, and it's, it's, it's a sure thing, so we have a responsibility. The second thought I want to leave us with, that Caleb understood, I'm kept for God's purpose. Caleb straight up says to Joshua, he says, give me the hill country, the Lord has kept me some 45 years. So I can walk into this country and take what the Lord has given me. 
He had a purpose. And I want us to understand something about this request from Caleb. Because it wasn't a request like, give me what's mine. Let's look at it. It says three times in the text, it says, Caleb served God wholeheartedly. He served God wholeheartedly. He served God wholeheartedly. What does it mean to serve God wholeheartedly? Well, with your whole heart. No, I, I, that, yes, that's the Sunday school answer. And kudos if you thought that. Um, I will give you a star sticker after service. Um, I'm just joking. I don't have any. Uh, so I'm just going to walk out disappointed. I'm not going to get my star sticker. Um, no, I, I truly believe wholehearted devotion to God is your heart yearns for what God's heart yearns for. It aches for what God's heart aches over. He wanted what God's heart wanted. What did God want for Israel? He wanted that land purged from Israel's enemies so it could be a solitary, beautiful gift for them. This land that he wanted to give them, the promised land. And they're still fighting over it today because they left it unaccomplished. They didn't kick everybody out. They didn't annihilate everyone that they told them to. In chapter 13, God says it's not over, and it's still not over. When we, this is a side message, but when we don't do what God tells us to do, there is ramifications for generations to come. It is important to do what God tells us to do. And Caleb didn't ask for anything that was outside the heart of God. God wanted the land liberated. He wanted the land uh, given to his children. And Caleb says, I want to get on board with what God's already doing. And so he asked for something that fell right in line with the heartbeat of God. They're in a campaign to liberate, to, to kick out, to annihilate the enemies of Israel. And Caleb said, I want to be a part of that. I want to jump on board. And God kept him alive for 45 more years because he understood Caleb's heart. He understood that Caleb would be about me and my business. I've said this before, and I'll say it until the day I die, but if you're not dead, then God is not done with you. You have a purpose our purpose isn't to kick out and annihilate people out of a land. Our purpose is to grow the kingdom, though. And it's not a kingdom like they were trying to establish. It's a kingdom of the heart. Because Jesus is coming back. He is coming back to establish a physical kingdom on this earth. But he's not slow in keeping his promises. He wants everyone to repent. But how can they repent if they're not told so we have this purpose. You might say, I don't have a purpose. How do I know what my purpose is? Let's just stick to the basics of what your purpose is. Your purpose in life is to share Jesus Christ. It is. And then as you start stepping into the most basic of Christian purposes, the Lord will, he'll, he, he, might, he might navigate that a little more and he might hone in a little more. Like, like for instance, 
as I stepped in and said, okay, God, I want to do that, he said, okay, I want you to be this. And I want you to go to this college. I want you to marry this girl right there. Mm. And um, I, w- I want you to pa- youth pastor here. And he kept honing it. And, 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 and he hones our purpose over the course of our life. But there's always the baseline purpose of sharing the gospel. So you might not step into full-time ministry. You might not ever step up on a platform and preach it like I'm preaching. But man, well, you, you, can, you can pray with your neighbor. You can love people in a grocery store. You can, you, you can care for people who just hate your guts. It doesn't always look the same. Not, you guys aren't gifted like I'm gifted. I'm definitely not gifted like him, uh, like Pastor Ben. He, that, that man is pro, he's so much more talented than me. So, but that's beautiful because those are his giftings, and God's using him and his giftings. And God should, and God uses me and my giftings. I could talk to a wall. That is one of my gifts, and I'm not saying you guys are a wall. But I love people, and I like to talk to people. And Caleb said, I'm as strong today as I was then, and I can fight probably better than he could then. He had 45 years more experience. He learned how to handle that sword a little better because he knew that he was going up against a greater enemy. And the Lord kept him for the task ahead of him. Man, some of us shouldn't even be alive today, and God's kept you for the task ahead of you. But what I'm saying is, let's take and give what we have to God and say, God, I want, I want to be used for your purpose. And I, I'm, I'm going to be blown away by what, what's going to happen through life groups, what's going to happen through this church, what's going to happen as we step into understanding that we don't age out of our purpose. We don't retire out of our purpose. <laughs> you can't retire out of this thing. Caleb didn't even retire out. He was 85 years old. He was still going to war. You don't, we, don't get a, we don't get a pass. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm too old or I, I know too little to make a difference. That's an excuse why you can't. If you look here, Caleb gave excuses why he could. He gave excuses. Man, I can fight just as good, and I, I'm just as strong as I was then. Come on, get, come on, Joshua. You know you want to give me this. You, you know you want to see me go. You know, like, he gave excuses why he should go to war when, when really age was against him. What if we started thinking that way? We started understanding, I'm kept for God's purpose. It's not about me, it's about him. And what if I start giving an excuse, like, why can't I do this? Yeah, I mean, I'm capable. I can pray. Like, I can lift people up and I can make a phone call and encourage someone. I can send a text message. I can, I can greet people out a door as they walk in through the church. I, I can... I can, hang, I can hold a baby. 
I can make a difference. You don't get to age out of this. We're kept for God's purpose. Our purpose at C1 is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We do that for two reasons. That's one. The first reason, we don't want people experiencing eternity without God. Two, we want people to experience eternity with God. Three, I know I said two, this is bonus, this is 2A. God commands us to. God commands us to. Jesus is coming back. The church is the vehicle which he chose to share the gospel. We have a purpose. You're kept for this purpose. If you are alive and have a beating heart and breathing lungs, you have a purpose. How you accomplish that purpose is going to look different from person to person. Ben and I were just talking this week about that. It looks different because God gives each of us different gifts. But you still have a purpose. Just because you don't have my gifts doesn't mean you're nullified from sharing the gospel. God's not asking you to say, um, what can you do with what's in Ryan's hands? He's saying, what can I do with what's in your hands? God only asks us ever to give, a, give him what's in our hands. And it's amazing what God can do with what's in our hands. Caleb had 85-year-old hands and a sword, and God says, I'm going to give you a land. Imagine what we say, God, I have a prayer closet, and I have a list. And God's like, I can change a country. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. It's amazing what we what God can do when we just give him what's in our hands. The next thought I want to leave you with is fight until it's finished. It's not over. It's not over. It wasn't over. Caleb, just just a chapter before this, Joshua got word from from God. It, It says in chapter 13 that Joshua is now an old man. It says, though, that God said, it's not over. You got the Philistines. You got the Philistines to kick out of Gaza. You got, you got to go annihilate them. But what happens in chapter 13 is he starts dividing up the land amongst the people. And guess what? I love Joshua. I think he's a great leader. But he didn't do what God told him to do. And the Philistines were a thorn in Israel's flesh for generations upon generations upon generations because they never did what God told them to do with them. In fact, we, 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 we've probably heard, even if you don't go uh, been to church before, you've probably heard of David and Goliath. Goliath was a giant Philistine. And they were still fighting the Philistines hundreds of years later, thousands of years later. Their names change, but they're still fighting them. Because they didn't do 
what God asked him to do. But Caleb, on the other hand, said, I'm going to fight. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to kick and um, I'm going I'm to annihilate these people who are in my land that God gave me. And this is a promise of God. I'm going to stand on that promise and I'm going to fight till it's done. We're, we're not too different from Caleb. Jesus hasn't come back yet. Until we hear that trumpet blast, we got to fight till it's done. We got to keep praying. We got to keep seeking. We got to keep sharing. I remember my first basketball game of my senior year in high school. I, um, I was the team captain, and we were losing the whole game. There is some points we were down by like 18 points, which that's not like detrimental, but when, you, when you're down towards the end of the game by 18 points, you kind of lose hope. You're like, oh, man, we're going to lose that's like nine baskets, you know, and they're and you know in high school there's no shot clock, so they can run they can run the clock, and you have to like make them make a mistake or steal the ball, foul them, do something, and so there's all this going on. We're down by a lot, but in the last two seconds of the game, we were down by two points. We fought because it wasn't over. We didn't give up. We didn't hear the final buzzer yet. We were fighting. It was, I mean, it was a nasty game. Like, I think I got hit by my opponent and my teammates. It was just that type of game. It was, it was rough. And I remember, for some reason, I, now, I was the, the power forward in high school. I'm 6'2". I'm, I'm, I'm more of like a small forward. But in high school, I was like the biggest kid on the team. So I was that guy. I was the power forward slash center, whatever. And for some reason, though, I ended up with the ball at the perimeter with two seconds left. And I thought, I didn't think a lot. I was like, well, my, 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 my safety in basketball is like free throw line in. I can shoot three-pointers, but, I mean, it's just, I can shoot them. I, I, I didn't say I can make them. Um, there's a difference between making a three-pointer and shooting a three-pointer. And um, so, like, jump shot range, free throw line, 15 feet, somewhere in there, is, like, really my safety. Like, that's where I'm comfortable at. Now, you get me, at the, you get me in the corner at the perimeter. Um, I used to have a really quick first step because I trained with jump soles a lot and, and stuff. So, like, you get me out there and you come guard me, I'm going to blow past you. And that's what I started to do. But I thought, I don't want to go into overtime. So I, I'd done the dumb thing, which my coach, he's like, why would you do that? I'm glad you did, but I'm why? And so I grabbed the balls and, and, and you know, and, and triple threat. And I took and, uh, I took and dribbled hard in. And my defender fell. Like he's supposed to. He's supposed to back up because he thought I was driving. Well, I thought, if I take a jump shot, I make it, we're going to go into overtime. I'm spent. So I dribbled hard in, and then I dribbled back, and I shot the ugliest three-pointer. It was actually the first three-pointer I ever shot in a game in my high school career. And it was ugly. It was the, I mean, I'm telling you, like, it, it was rough. And the miracle of it was it banked in. 
Like, it, it bounced off the backboard and went in. And guess what? When it banks in, it's still worth three points, okay? So uh, if it's ugly, it's still worth the three points. And it literally went in, and they had like half a second left. And we won the game. That was the literally only buzzer beater I ever shot in my high school career. Um, and it was the only time I've like won a game like that. But my, my, my point is we fought until the buzzer. We fight until it's finished. It's not finished for us until we hear the trumpet call of God. There's still a task to be done. Approximately one quarter of the world's population has never heard the name of Jesus. About 6.5 people, if you see a 0.5 person pray for them, they probably don't have legs. But about 6.5 people in Colombia don't know Jesus. Six to seven people. We have a task, and we got to fight till it's done. Whether they, whether they come to church here or not, the goal is to give them Jesus, at least give them the option. And that looks different. For me, I walk downtown and I talk with people. Some people build really good relationships with them at work or with your neighbors. But I, I, would, I would ask that you pray. Say, Lord, give me opportunities. It might just be that relationship that you build and then one day that conversation blossoms. Praise God that it does. But use your gifts for God. You're kept for his purpose. Fight till it's finished. Caleb was not finished until he had possession of the land that God promised him. He was not finished until then. And the last thought I want to leave with you is... Trust God with your if. Trust God with your if. Caleb makes a statement in verse 12. He says, So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me you will remember that as scouts we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled cities. That was, uh, those were giants. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. He gave God as if. So often how if looks for us so often how if looks for us, it, it looks like, man, if, if I would have just said that last week, or if I would have done that 10 years ago, man, I really wish I would have invested in Apple back in the 80s. Or That's how hypotheticals play for us. They always have the past in mind. But I love... Joshua's take on the hypothetical if. He put it in a future context with God. But if God is with me, ooh, 
Paul does the same thing. If God is for you, who can be against you? This is, this is a, a, a hard thing to do because guess what? Caleb not only gave God his if, then he acted on the if. Joshua gave him his blessing. He took his men and he went to war on an if. In faith. What if we gave God our ifs? What if what if we like Caleb trusted God with his promises? What if we stepped out of our default? We all have a default that we go back to. We all have our comfort that we go back to. We all have, what if? What would it look like if we took the extra gumption and had a two-minute longer conversation with our waitress today? What if we had a conversation with a neighbor and invited them to life group or to church or to both? What if... We bought groceries for that person behind us in line or that person behind us at the, at the restaurant. What if we prayed for a coworker who's struggling? What if we loved like Jesus loved? What does that mean? He loved first, then addressed issues. We like to lead with issues. Then love. That's not how Jesus did it. What if we stopped and listened for what God is saying when we're anxious or depressed? What if we just took that moment, quieted ourselves, maybe even turned everything off around us and said, hey, God, what are you saying? Why am I anxious? What's robbing me of my peace? What if we listened? What if we heard the audible voice of God or a still small voice of God? What if we turned the TV off or our cell phones off for five minutes more of prayer or studying the Word of God? What if we acted on the if and not just leave it an if. Caleb's action on his if by giving his if to God, by trusting God with his if, changed the trajectory of his ancestry and they're still living there today. Let's just look at it for a second. Can you throw the last slide of scripture up? It says, Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kizanite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, God of Israel. He said, 
if God is for me, if God is with me, but if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out. He acted on his if. And it changed the trajectory of generations for him. Imagine what the if could be for you and me. I don't know what your if is that you need to give to God. But I do know that if we act on an if. What if, what if I just started supporting missions? I could tell you what it did for me when I started supporting missions. I honestly can't tell you the thousands of dollars that the Lord gave me back. I could give you an estimate about how much I've given to missions, but it's, it's not even a fraction of what the Lord's blessed back. What if today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to give us an opportunity to act on an if. Because there are people in here today, there are people in here today that are contemplating certain things in their life. They're, they're saying, God, you know, I need to trust you with my if, or I need to fight till it's finished. Some of you guys are realizing man, I am kept for God's purposes. Or some of you guys are grabbing hold of a promise the Lord laid on your heart years ago, and you need to grab a hold of that. Just like Caleb. But the if today is, what if I respond? What if I respond?